Each one of us can learn good things from bad people. We can grow strong character in tough circumstances, but we have to be trainable. This message is the sixth in the series, The Power of Personal Choices. The message is entitled, Be Trainable. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Go ahead and grab your Bibles, your teaching sheets this morning. I want us to welcome all of our campuses, all the folks in Frederick, Clarksburg, universities at Shady Grove, and of course here in Gaithersburg. Let's give everybody a good round of applause and welcome all of us as we worship together. One church in multiple locations, so it's great to be together in as the family of God today. We're involved in a series of messages uh, this fall entitled The Power of Personal Choices, and I want to talk to you today about one of the most important choices you will ever make in life, and it's the choice about your trainability, your teachability. By the way, in this series, what we're doing is we're looking at the fact that God has given each one of us a precious gift called the power of free will. You get to choose what you're going to do with your life. God does not force you to love Him. God does not force you to obey Him. God gives you life, and He says, I want you to obey me, but you make the choice. And He says that the power of life and death, they're before us, but we get to make the choice. And the wise choice is to choose life, to choose to live according to God's Word and God's will. But it's a choice that you and I make. And what we're doing in this series is we're looking at some of the most significant choices that you will make in your life to actually put your life on the right trajectory so it can be, you can be the person that God really wants you to be. And one of those choices, as I said, is the choices about your trainability, your teachability in life. The focus of this particular study is a, a man in the Old Testament by the name of Samuel. Samuel was a prophet and a priest during a very significant time in Israel's history. To learn a little bit about, understand Samuel's life, you have to learn a little bit about the history. Samuel comes in a transition period. Before Samuel's birth, Israel had been in a time of walking away from God. There was no leadership in Israel, and so the Scripture says everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes, which always creates problems, and everybody's sort of doing their own thing. And so it was a horrible time, spiritually for Israel. And they're going to move toward a monarchy where God gives them some kings. And the first king will be King Saul, and the second king will be a man most of us are familiar with, David. And then the third king will be a man by the name of Solomon. And so there's this movement from a time of anarchy in Israel to a time of some structured leadership. And Samuel is the prophet and the priest that God wants to use to transition this nation into this very important next season. But he needed the right man, and Samuel was that man. But Samuel entering into the world happened actually miraculously. Let me tell you a little bit about Samuel's family. We've been talking about it a bit in this series. Samuel's dad was a man by the name of Elkanah. Elkanah was a godly man in in the midst of an ungodly culture. The Bible says that every year he would make sure and grab his family, pull them all together, and they would go to a place called Shiloh. And Shiloh was the place where the tabernacle of the Lord existed. It was a place where the priests were, and the tabernacle was there, the Ark of the Covenant was there. And so they would, every year, Elkanah would bring his family to Shiloh, and there they would worship and offer sacrifices and recommit themselves as a family to serving God. Elkanah's wife was named Hannah. Hannah was loved dearly by Elkanah, and she loved Elkanah very much, but she was barren. She could not have children. And so this obviously was a pressure point in her life, a pain point in her life. And so every year when they would go to Shiloh, Hannah would pour out her heart to God. God, give me a son. God, give me a son. And that's exactly what's going on in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Hannah is there with Elkanah at Shiloh, and she's at the tabernacle of the Lord asking God to give her a son. And there this year... God showed up and said, your answer is on the way. Aren't you glad that if you'll be persistent, God will show up in your life? 
And it required persistency, but she was there persistently crying out to God year after year. And this was her year. There's always your year, amen? There's always the time when God will show up in your world if you'll stay faithful to Him. And that's what happened for Hannah. And in fact, as a part of her prayer, she said, God, if you'll give me a son, here's what I will do. I will give him back to you and that he will live for you all the days of his life. So she made a promise to God. Well, God did answer that, that prayer, and God gave her a son. His name was Samuel, and the name Samuel means ask of God. Or another way of saying it, Samuel means a, an answer to prayer. So Samuel was God's answer of prayer to Hannah. Now, after, uh, after Samuel grew up a bit, and he's starting to develop as a, as a young man, Hannah has to make the decision as to whether she's going to fulfill the vow she made to God about giving Samuel to God all the days of his life, which would have meant bringing him back to Shiloh and turning him over to the priest there to be trained. And she does this. In fact, 1 Samuel chapter 1, beginning in verse 24, we find this story unfolding. After he, that Samuel, this little boy, after he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli. Eli was the priest there in Shiloh, the main, the head priest there. And she said to him, Pardon me, Lord, as surely as you live, I'm the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I pray for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I ask of him. So now I give him to the Lord for his whole life. He will be given over to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. Now, don't take this passage lightly, especially all you moms out there. Can you imagine taking your little boy? He's just been weaned, and you're bringing him to the house of God and saying, now I'm going to turn him over to you, Eli, the priest. He's going to now be raised here at Shiloh. I'm going to leave him with you. And it's a very significant time in, in Hannah's life demonstrating her deep devotion to God. Now let's see what happens as we move forward into Samuel's life. First Samuel chapter 2, verses 18 through 21. But Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. So he ministered there at Shiloh with Eli. Each year his mother made him a little robe and took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife, saying, May the Lord give you children by this woman to take the place of the one she prayed for and gave to the Lord. Then they would go home. And the Lord was gracious to Hannah. She gave birth to three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. And so they would come every year. Mom would always bring a new coat that she'd made for him, a little robe that he would wear. And so year after year, as this little guy is growing, he needs some new clothes along the way. And Mommy would bring that to him. But she would leave him there. He's being being raised, being taught the Word of God, and being exposed to the presence of God. Parents, let me tell you something. The wisest thing you will ever do for your children is to make sure they get exposed to the Word of God and the presence of God. Because it's the Word of God and the presence of God that forms the character of a child. And so your responsibility as a parent spiritually is to make sure your children are not just getting an academic education, but they're getting exposed to the truth of God's Word because that is what's going to carry them through life, but not just the truth of the Word, but the, also the presence of God. And the presence of God is experienced among the people of God. The Bible says, Jesus said, if two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there with them. And so you need to have your kids in church and need to be teaching them the Word of God. That's what what Hannah teaches us about child rearing, child parenting, very important principle, raise your kids in the house of God. 
make that decision. Teach them the word of God. So here is Samuel being exposed to the law of God and to the presence of God. Notice verse 26, chapter 2 of 1 Samuel. And the boy Samuel continued to grow. Would you say that phrase with me? He continued to grow. That's a very important phrase. He continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with people. So the Bible says that this little boy Samuel continued to grow in three dimensions. He grew obviously physically in stature, but he also grew in favor with the Lord. So he's growing spiritually and in favor with people. So he's growing socially and relationally. And so here's this young man maturing, continuing to grow. Would you say once again with me the phrase continuing to grow? Let's say it together. Continuing to grow. And then it says in verse 1 of chapter 3, the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. So Samuel was placed in God's house to grow. Now, why is this so important? He continued to grow. What I want you to see in Samuel's life, it's going to come over into our lives in just a moment, but here's Samuel being raised in the house of God, being taught the law of God and the presence of God. And he continues to grow. He's being trained. He's being groomed. Why? Because God's going to take him to a place in the future where he's going to be used significantly. In fact, one day, Samuel is going to be the voice of God to Israel. He's going to be the one that will appoint Saul as the first king. He'll be the one that will anoint David to become the second king. So he's going to have a very important role in the future that he does not even realize right now. But what is going to prepare him for that time in the future was the way he responded to his training in the present. Did you hear that? What would prepare him for his time in the future, God's plan for him in the future, was how he responded to his time of training under Eli. And the same is true for you and me. God has something down the road for you. Amen? For every one of you. You can't see it right now. You have no idea what's down the road for you in terms of God's plan for your life. But I promise you that whatever you're going through right now in your life is training for that moment in the future. It's training for what God will do in your life in the days to come. So just as how Samuel responded to the training was very important, he needed to be a very good student Because if he was not a good student, he would not be ready for what God had in store for him. And the same is true for you and me. You and I need to be very good students if we're going to be ready for all that God has for our future. So I want to talk to you for a few moments about four things that are necessary in your life. If you're going to be a good student, if you're going to be a person who is trained for whatever God has in store for you. The first thing to write it down is to understand that training is God's will for your life. That training is the will of God for your life. I'm often asked the question, Pastor, how do I know God's will for my life? And most folks would love to have God to sort of write in the sky exactly what His will is for them. But that's not the way God works. Here's how God will reveal His plan for your life. God reveals His plan to you by teaching you principles that will lead you to His plan. He says, if you'll live this way, I will get you where you need to be. It's not a matter of knowing where you're going. It's a matter of doing what you ought to be doing. 
doing what you ought to be doing right now will result in you ending up where you need to be in life. And so it's not worrying about getting to God's plan. It's practicing the principles that put us on the pathway that will reveal ultimately the plan of God for your life. And so don't get all concerned about what God's plan is for your life. Be concerned with living out the principles of God in your life. If you'll do that, I promise you, you'll make it to the plan. The plan, God will get you to the plan if you're living by the principles, right? Now, some of the principles include this very principle I'm talking about. It's the principle of training. It's a principle of training. Training is the will of God for your life. God's very clearly said, if you want my plan to be fulfilled, you must be trained. Now, to train means to instruct, to teach, to give a sense of skill set to someone or actually to help someone, more importantly, biblically, to form character in them. And so what you see in Scripture is that the Lord wants to become your trainer. He wants to be your personal trainer. He wants to be your personal instructor, your personal teacher. The Scripture is so clear about this. Matthew eleven twenty nine. Would you read it together with me? Let's all read it at all of our campuses, and let's read it aloud and loudly. Here we go. These are the words of Jesus, by the way. Are you ready? Here we go. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. So Jesus said, I want you to learn from me. You, when you learn, it means that you're a student, right? Students learn. And so he says, I want you to become my student and learn from me. I'm a good student. I'm gentle and humble. And I will make sure that I instruct you in a way that will result in what is beneficial to your life. You'll find rest for your souls if you, in fact, learn what I'm trying to teach you. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Jesus gives us what we call the Great Commission. He says, therefore, go and make disciples. The word disciples means student. That's all it means. It means to actually be an apprentice, to be someone that is learning, someone that is being receiving instruction in their life in a way that is transforming who and what they are. And so we are to become disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And what's the next word? teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So Jesus said, when you come to me, you come to me not just as someone who has an experience with me and then sort of forget about it, but no, you experience me now as, as your Savior, but also experience me as your teacher. I want to be your teacher. You're a disciple. You're a student. So I can teach you to obey everything that I have commanded you. By the way, Jesus himself, when he came on the earth, onto the earth, as the very Son of God, he was trained by his heavenly Father. Luke 2.52, Jesus grew. What did Samuel do? He continued to grow. What did Jesus do? Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Who does that sound like? It sounds like Samuel, doesn't it? So in your life, what is the will of God? Listen closely. God's will for your life right now, every person here, is that you have some growing to do. You have some learning to do. You need to grow some more spiritually and grow some more emotionally and grow some more relationally so that you can also grow ministerially, that you can be used by God. But God's plan for your life right now is that you would enroll in the school of Jesus and that you would receive an education. That means that you have to be willing to be trained. Now, how does God train us? I'm not going to take time to go into this in, in great detail today, but it's there for you to study. He trains you by His Word, obviously. 
He trains you by His Holy Spirit. This Holy Spirit lives inside of you. That's why you and I need to learn to listen to that still, small voice of the Spirit working in us because He's our teacher. He'll help you to address things in your life if you'll listen to His voice. He trains us through our spiritual leaders. That's why being in the house of God is so important. You're being trained right now by being here today. You're also trained through correction. Sometimes God will correct you along the way and bring discipline into your life for that purpose. And also God trains you through life events and circumstances. The things that God will set up in your life for the primary purpose of helping you to learn something. But training is God's will for your life. Number two, training is an opportunity, not an obligation. It's a blessing, not a burden. I'll say that once again. Training is an opportunity, not an obligation. It is a blessing. It is not a burden. This statement goes to the issue of attitude. Do you know that attitude is the key to practically everything in life? When your attitude is bad, practically nothing is good. And when your attitude is good, practically nothing is bad. When your attitude is bad, practically nothing is good. You can have, no matter what it is, a bad attitude, you have a lot of great things happening, but your attitude will ruin it. And practically nothing is bad when your attitude is good because it helps you to process it. Now, this is true when it comes to training. Many people view training as, oh, just something I have to do. You know, I volunteered for that, that ministry at church, and they told me I had to take a class. Can you believe that? Why do I have to do that? I already know that stuff. See, that's an attitude, okay? It's an attitude that says, I don't need to learn anything. But real learners, real students, approach life and approach their their learning situations as an opportunity, not as something as I'm obligated to do, I have to do it. No, I get to do it. I get the blessing of being able to learn what I need to learn. Very, very important. There's a difference in attitudes, so critical in our, our, our life situations. So remember that, that in life, anytime God gives you an opportunity, gives you a training situation, it's a wonderful opportunity for your future. It is a blessing. It is not a burden to your life. Number three, only the trainable can be trained and only the growable will grow. Only the trainable can be trained and only the growable will grow. What a profound statement, huh? To be trained, you must be trainable. To grow, you must be growable. You will never, ever be trained or grow unless you're a great student. Let me tell you something about students. Teachers love great students. I've taught quite a bit over the years. In fact, my whole life career primarily has been related to teaching even before I was the pastor of our church and planted our church about 30 years ago. I worked in a university setting where I taught classes, and so teaching is a part of my background. I love teachers. Anybody want to take a moment and thank God for teachers? Come on, let's thank God for teachers, okay? You wouldn't be where you are today if you didn't have some teachers along the way, right? Okay, so we appreciate and value teaching and teachers. And I'll tell you something about a teacher. A teacher really loves and leans into a good student. You want attention, a good attention from a teacher? Sit on the front row of your class. Watch the teacher when they're lecturing. Take good notes. Ask good questions. You lean into a teacher, and what will you get back from the teacher? Positive attention, right? 
that helps you to grow. And so what I want you to see is the same is true with Jesus. To, to be trained, you have to be trainable. And to grow, you have to be growable. You have to lean into Jesus as a good student. Jesus wants to make every person here a good student. You say, well, pastor, I wasn't a very good student in, in high school or school or college. or I've never been a really great student. Here's the good news. You can become a good spiritual student now. Everybody has the ability to succeed in the kingdom. Amen? You can become a great student. And I'm going to give you some words. I'm actually going to give you six phrases. These are not on your notes. So you're going to need to find, I would really encourage you to write them down. Just six words, phrases that will help you to learn how to be a great student in any realm of life. This will work for you academically, young people. It will work for you on the, in the job situation. And it certainly works for you in the kingdom. The first thing you have to have to be a great student is you have to have a hunger to learn. You've got to be hungry for it. Something inside of you that says, I've got to learn. I don't know everything that I need to know. I don't understand everything that I need to understand. In the early days of our church, when we had uh, planted the Church of the Redeemer back in 1986, uh, I obviously never planted a church before, and so I didn't know a lot about how you get a church started and so forth. I didn't know as I was still learning in the process. But one thing I had, I said, this insatiable desire to learn. And so what I would do every year is I would save up some money so that I could actually take a trip to a city somewhere that I knew had a lot of great churches. And I would, I would go into that city for maybe a couple of days and just I would spend those entire two days going from church to church and knocking on the door and saying, I heard that somebody here has a great children's ministry. Could I talk to them about it? What can I learn? And I would go in and sit down and begin to have a conversation. Ask, I'd have a list of questions I would ask them. You know how much I learned just by doing that every year? I learned a lot of stuff that helped us to, to, to avoid some mistakes along the way and to some, learn some things that were very valuable to our church. Why? Because I had a hunger to learn. And I still have that same, same hunger. And I pray that you have that hunger. And today I'm praying that God, if it's not in you, there would be a hunger in your heart to say, I want to know more about God. I want to know more about the kingdom of God. I want to know how I can be a better person in the kingdom, how I can be a better husband, a better father, a better mom, a better wife a better worker. I want to find out what God has to say. I am hungry to learn. See, that's a gift that comes from God that you and I need to pray for because you'll never be a great student if you don't have a desire to learn, okay? It starts with this hunger inside. By the way, I want to celebrate every one of you here today because you know what you did? You woke up this morning. There must have been something that got you to church, okay? And what it was was a hunger to say, I need to learn something today. And so you did something that a lot of people around this geographic area didn't do today. You got up and got dressed and you came to the house of God. Why? Because there's something in you that says, I want to learn. Amen? That's why you're here. And I celebrate that. That's why you come back to church every week. You want to grow. So hunger is already in you, but you want to nurture it and develop it. The second thing that you have to do if you're going to be a good student is listen when you're instructed. Listen. Have a hunger, and then whenever someone is trying to teach you something, what should you do? You should listen. From time to time, because I've been in the ministry quite a number of years now, I have young leaders, young pastors that will come to me, and they will say, Pastor Dale, would you, would you teach me? I, I, can I spend an hour with you just, just talking to you about how to do ministry and, and how, what you've learned over the years about ministry? And, and can, I just, can you mentor me a little bit? Because I, I'm, I'm struggling in some areas. And I'll, many times, not always, I can't always accommodate every request, but in some of those situations, I will accommodate their request because I have the opportunity to do so. And they'll come sometimes to my 
office or we'll, we'll meet for coffee. And I'll say, hi, here I am. We've got an hour or so to spend together. How can I help you? And they start talking. And about an hour later, they shut up. And they've told me everything that's going on. They've not stopped for a moment to ask a single question. You know why? Because they haven't understood what a student does. A student listens. You know, as long as you're talking, generally, you're not learning anything. It's only when you're listening that you start to learn. Okay? And so students have a hunger, and then students listen. They listen. They tune in to what's going on around them, what's being taught to them. Third, they study what they're taught. So there's a, there's a commitment to study what you're learning. Not just take it in the moment, but to actually study it. Every week when you come to church here, we give you something that looks like this. It looks different week to week somewhat, but it's a piece of paper. We always give out notes and so forth and those kind of things. Why, why don't we do that? You ever thought about why we do that? Because we want to help you to learn, Right? We're not here just to have a church service and make everybody feel good, okay? It's great to feel good. Nothing wrong with that. But we actually want to give you something that you can understand while we're going through it, but also go back home and say, you know, let me go back over that again. Let me reflect on that. We hope that you take these home with you and that you don't file them into the circular file cabinet, okay? File? You know what that is, right? It's a trash can, okay? Or that you don't use them to start your fire in your fireplace, Okay? But you actually take them back home, and we actually have people here in our church that have been collecting these things for, uh, for like, years, okay? They have notebooks full of them. But I hope they do more than just collect them, okay? I hope they actually read them back. When, but here's the thing. This is for you, okay? This is for you, okay? We actually have people here in our church that will take this to work with them during the week, and they'll get a group of people at work together, and during the week, maybe at a Bible study, they'll use this. This is a great little Bible study guide. You say, I can't do a Bible study. Yeah, you can. Go ahead and take my notes. I authorize you to use them, okay? And say, get a group of people together at work. Say, we're going to go over my pastor's sermon this week. I'm just going to tell you what he said. We're going to go through this and the Bible, read these verses. But what you do is you study this because what you're doing, you're getting it from up here. Where? Here. See, a lot of people think that, that God is impressed with how much knowledge you have here about him. No. So they go to like... Bible studies and get more and more information about God, more information about God. But you don't need more, just more information about God. You need more transformation by the truth of God. Amen? Okay? It's got to get from here into your heart, okay? Because I promise you, when you get to heaven, God's not going to give you a Bible quiz, okay? He's not going to give you a Bible quiz. He's going to give you a life quiz, okay? So that's why the Bible is referred to as the word of life, okay? It changes your life. And so you and I need to study it. What's the next one? The fourth thing is that you need to complete whatever assignments are given to you. Generally, if you're a teacher, not generally, but every teacher gives assignments, right? Assignment is now, I've given you this truth. I want you now to take it and, and, and begin to do something with it. And so and the assignments are not glorious. How many of you know that nobody really loves homework, okay? Homework is not the most fun thing to do, but it's essential because it's reinforcing what you're learning. And so when you study the Bible, when you, for example, this week, I promise you, if you take this home with you and you begin to study what we've talked about and then say, God, what is my assignment this week based upon what you're teaching me? God will show you something this week that you can do that will help you to uh, practice and apply what we've been talking about, right? But you've got to be willing to complete the assignments. Then the next one, number five, ask good questions. Ask good questions. Don't just, be, just say, what are, I'm going to learn more. Not just what, but 
Why? How? For example, when you're reading your Bible, you're reading along, you say, well, okay, read these verses, fantastic, that's great. Now, what did you officially do? You read your Bible, right? But you know what's better? You start reading your Bible, and you read down, and you start, oh, wow, I wonder what that means. When Jesus said that, I wonder, first of all, who is he talking to? Hmm. Let me think for a moment. Let me read around that verse and see. Who is he talking to when he said that? What exactly did he say? And what does it mean for me? You see what I just did? I just asked about four questions that brought me where? Deeper into the application of the Scripture. Are you with me on that? Okay. But the, the way I got the, the greater understanding of the passage was by doing what? Asking what? Questions. And so when I'm reading my Bible, I ask myself questions as I'm reading. And when I'm reading, when I'm studying a, a Bible study or any, actually any book that I read, I ask myself questions. What does this mean? How do I apply it? I don't just go through the rote process of doing it. And that's what a great student does. The next one, what am I? Is this number six, right? Put what you learn into practice. Put what you learn into practice. So practice what you learn. That is, begin to let it change your life. So become a great student. Peter the Apostle said it this way in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, but grow, but you, you grow, that's the implied pronoun there, but you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and be glory both now and forever. Amen. What I want you to see there is that growth is your responsibility. You, if you're going to grow, you have to be growable. If you're going to be trained, you must be trainable. And this brings me to my last point. And you may, when you first hear this last point, you may not necessarily agree with it. But if you'll stay with me, I promise you, you will ultimately agree with it because it's biblical. It says this, the last point for today is you can learn good things from bad people. And you can grow strong character in tough situations, tough circumstances. You can learn good things from bad people. And you can grow good character, strong character in tough circumstances. See, some people will say to me, Pastor, I'd love to learn, I'd love to grow, but you just don't know the turkeys that are in my life, okay? I'm just surrounded by a bunch of fools, okay? I mean, I can't learn anything from these folks. I mean, you don't know the family I'm in. You don't know the people I work with. You don't know, you don't know my world. I can't learn anything. Let's stop for a moment. First of all, if you're surrounded by fools, maybe it's because you chose fools to be surrounded by, okay? So, first of all, that's something you can learn right there to make better choices related to your friends, okay? That's a good choice, right, okay? So, stop for a moment and say, okay, well, if I just attracted, am I made a decision to be around people like this? If not, that's a good lesson for you. But if you're in a situation where you are surrounded by people that don't know God, don't love God, are foolish in the way they're living their lives, and maybe you can't get out of it because maybe you work around them, it's in your work environment, anybody, don't raise your hand on this, but anybody have a few fools that you work with, okay? They're not wise when it comes to the things of God. They don't understand the things of God. They're living by the world standard. They're living by their own carnal standards. And so you're in an environment that's not always godly. You're in an environment that's not always, a, always positive in that standpoint. But here is the wonderful news. You can actually learn good things from bad people. You know what you learn? You learn. You actually get a free education. You get to learn what not to do at the expense of their pain. Right? You're watching their lives. You're seeing what's going on. You say, well, that's something I'm not going to do. That's something I'm not going to do. 
that's something I'm really not going to do. Okay. And this was true. No one exemplifies this better than Samuel. Okay. Samuel had to learn good things, although he was surrounded by bad people. Okay. I'm going to read this for you in just a moment, but let me set the stage up for you. Who was the priest at Shiloh that Hannah put Samuel under the, under the tutelage of? Anybody remember his name? Eli, exactly. Good. Good students. Way to go. Okay. Eli, okay. Eli, as we're going to see in a moment, had some spiritual issues in his life. But Eli also had some sons by the name of Hophni and Phinehas. And they had some big-time issues in their life. But now here is little Samuel. He's being put surrounded by... Eli and Eli's two sons who were also priests. Now let's go to the Bible and see what the Bible says about the environment that Samuel was placed in. Chapter 2, verse 12. Eli's sons were scoundrels. Now folks, when the Bible calls you a scoundrel, you are a scoundrel. Eli's sons were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. Look at verse 1 of chapter 3, the boy, Eli, the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare, and there were not many visions. What I want you to see, are you listening? What I want you to see is that God took Samuel, and he put him in an environment where there were two guys that were horrible, okay? They, didn't, they were scoundrels, okay? They had no regard for God. As a part of this series, we'll talk about uh, some of the issues with Hophni and Phinehas. And then also Eli had issues. The Bible says that Eli, he was the priest, he was the head priest of Israel during this time. And who's, what was one of his responsibilities as head priest? It was to teach and to give the word of the Lord, right? What did priests do? Priests give the word of the Lord, right? But the Bible says that while Eli was priest, the word of the Lord was... Rare, okay, which means he wasn't even doing his job, okay? He was not in tune with God. In fact, we saw earlier in chapter 1 how out of touch with God Eli was because even when Hannah was praying for a son and crying out in distress to God, Eli was so spiritually out of it, he thought she was drunk. That's how lack, what a lack of spiritual discretion he had. But what happened in Samuel's life is that God placed him there and out of the fools around him, he still formed his character. And I will tell you that if you're surrounded by some foolish people, don't ever let that be an excuse for you not growing. Amen? You can grow no matter who you're surrounded by if you want to grow. Now, you can also develop your character when you're in tough circumstances. We're just about to conclude here, so stay with me as we're going to land the plane, okay? Don't parachute on me yet, okay? Stay right here with me, okay? Anybody remember the Old Testament character Joseph? You remember him? Okay. Joseph, as a young man, because of the jealousy of his brothers, was sold into slavery into Egypt. His brothers hated him because they thought his father favored him. There's a lot of other dynamics, family dynamics that were going on. And so the brothers, the older brothers, sold Joseph into slavery. And Joseph was bought and taken into slavery in Egypt and, and uh, was owned by a man named Potiphar, okay? And in the house of Potiphar, Joseph could have said, you know what, this, my life is lousy. What horrible circumstances. He could have grown bitter and angry and frustrated and just given up and let life just beat him up, which is what a lot of people do. 
But there was something in Joseph that said, you know, this is a tough situation, but I'm going to get tougher on the inside than the situation is on the outside, okay? Amen, did you hear that? I'm going to be tougher inside than the situation is outside, okay? Have you ever noticed something? You ever had a basketball or a soccer ball or something that maybe you, you, you set out in, a, in, 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 in your garage or somewhere over a period of time and the air leaked out of it and you try to bounce it and you go, and it doesn't bounce back? But you get the air pump and you fill it full of air, boom, bounces back. Why? Because it's been pressurized on the inside. It bounces back. And there was something inside of Joseph that had the bounce on the inside of him. He was full of the Spirit of God. He said, this is not going to, I'm not going to fall flat in this situation. And the Bible says he rose to prominence in Potiphar's house and becomes the manager of Potiphar. In fact, the Bible says that Potiphar finally just said, you know what? You do a better job than I. Just run everything. Just take over everything. And he took charge of Potiphar's house until Potiphar's wife, wanting an illicit affair with him, Joseph rejected that. Potiphar's wife accused him of adultery, and it was a false accusation, but Potiphar believed his wife instead of believing Joseph, and Joseph ends up in prison. Notice this, though. It wasn't any ordinary prison. It was the prison. It was Pharaoh's prison. It was the, the part of the dungeon or the cell or the prison system where Pharaoh kept his prisoners. How do we know that? Because the Pharaoh's baker was there and the Pharaoh's cupbearer was there, as you can read about in the Scriptures. What was happening, Joseph didn't fully realize it at the time, but God was preparing Joseph for a day when Joseph would become the prime minister of Egypt. That was the plan, okay? And Joseph needs an education for that day. And where does God place Joseph to get an education for becoming the prime minister of Egypt? He puts him in, in the Pharaoh's prison. And what happened was that Joseph, I just love this about this guy. He must have asked questions all the time there. How does Pharaoh do this? How does this part of the Egyptian government work? What about that? So I believe by the time he gets out of prison, he has like a Ph.D. in Egyptian politics, okay? Because he's used his situation to learn. He didn't know when his day was coming, but he knew his day was coming. He didn't know when it was going to happen or how it was going to happen, but he remembered there was a time back when he was 17 that God gave him a dream. And he said, I don't know when this is going to happen, but I know it's going to happen, so I'm going to make sure that I'm trained for the moment. I'm going to make sure that I've grown into becoming the person I need to be. I'm not going to let the circumstance around me destroy me. I'm not going to let the situation I'm in drive me down. No, I will be a good student. It may happen in Potiphar's house. It might happen in the prison, but I tell you something, I'm going to learn something that will help me for my destiny, okay? I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to die in this situation. I'm going to be a student. So here's Joseph in the prison. He's learning every day everything he can. He's gaining knowledge and information, so much so that he becomes the head trustee of the entire prison situation for, for Pharaoh's prisoners. And one day the call came. One day the situation was there where Pharaoh said, I need somebody that can interpret a dream for me. And somebody said, we know who that guy is. It's Joseph. He's been stuck in the dungeon for a while, but God's been working on him. He is trained and he is ready for his moment. And what I want to say to you in your life, I want you to be ready for your moment, okay? I don't know what your moment will look like. Moments come in different ways, but I want to make sure God, more importantly, wants to make sure you're trained for your moment. But you will not be trained. Listen, you will not be trained unless you're trainable. You cannot be taught 
unless you're teachable. You will not grow unless you're growable. Can I ask you, what is the attitude of your heart toward learning? What is the Are you a teachable person? Are you a defensive person? Nobody can tell you anything. There are people like that. Can't tell them a single thing because they know it all already. They already know what they know. They don't know anything else. I know what I need. Is that your attitude? I promise you, if that's the way you live your life, you'll never make it to all that God has for you. But if you say, God, I'm your student. You somebody say, well, I'm just too old to learn. You don't know, Pastor. You remember that statement? You can't teach an old dog new tricks. That's me, Pastor. No, it's not. You're not an old dog. Okay. Amen. You're not an old dog. You're a human being created by Almighty God. You know that the Apostle John, I've got to quit preaching here because I'm going to be preaching until the next service. But I'm, you know, this is, I'm on this, this is really hitting me strong today. You know the Apostle John did some of his greatest work when he was 90? Anybody love John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave? You know when John wrote those words? He's about 90 years old when he writes that. Think about this. Aren't you glad he didn't give up in his old age and said, I guess I'm done with can't learn anything else. No more revelation for me. No. John, his entire life was a learner. Don't ever excuse yourself with age or environment. God said, I called you to be a student. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Take this word and apply it deeply to our hearts. Lord, help us to be trainable, teachable, growable. In Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's Word that'll make a difference in your life now and forever. Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with Himself. You know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God, and we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. And I want to lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention his name. Say, Jesus, I admit to you today that, that I am a sinner and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior, the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. And then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me, and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward. In Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life, and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ. And to do so, you need some help. You need to learn how to live your life for Jesus every day. We'd like to provide for you. In fact, we have available for you some resources that you can get from our website, church-redeemer.org, that will help you to get a good start in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, check out the website, church-redeemer.org. Find those resources that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. 
If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash newbeginnings. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.